And all God's people said, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter number 3 this morning. And I was thinking while the choir was singing, worship always elicits a response. You will always have to respond when the Spirit of God is moving. Now, you will respond one of two ways. You will either reject it and push against it, or you will yield. Now, that's not always the same for everybody. Not everybody raises their hand. Not everybody says hallelujah. Not everybody shouts. Not everybody cries. But you will do something. There is nothing spiritual about looking dead. Son, I grew up in a country church where the women shouted and threw the bobby pins out of their hair. Honey, you can't scare me. I promise you, you can't scare me. Compared to what I grew up in, y'all looking Lutheran this morning. I'll be downright honest with you. What worship always elicits a response. And I want to be found faithful. This morning, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a Joshua heart. And what it's going to take to take the promised land. God has a will. God has a plan. God has a destiny. But in order to see that destiny brought to pass, you will have to have a Joshua heart. What is a Joshua heart? Chapter 1, he tells us that you've got to have a heart of courage. Chapter 1, he says you've got to have a heart of obedience. Then last week when we were trying to go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. The horse knew the way to carry the slave through the cold and dreary snow. We found out that it's interesting that of all the people that God could have used to illustrate a Joshua heart, he used a woman named Rahab. This morning, I want to give you the third characteristic of a Joshua heart, and that is a heart of faith. The word faith will have to go upon the doorpost of your heart if you are going to take the land. Joshua chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Now, I want you to leave your Bible open. I'm going to look at a bunch of verses in this book or in this chapter. The Bible says in Joshua 3 and in verse number 1, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. And he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. Brothers and sisters, the two spies have come back to the people of God. They've gone into Jericho, that 14-foot thick walled city, four ways around it. They've been in the house of Rahab the harlot, and they've come back with this report. They said, Joshua, the, the land is great. The giants are big, but God has already struck fear in their hearts, and the victory is ours. All we got to do is get over there and take it. But in order to get over there, they've got to cross the raging river of Jordan. And there's only one way to cross that river, and that is to do it by the power of God. Brothers and sisters, they are about to face their very first test. What is interesting about this first test in walking with God is what God is trying to teach you and I as a people. 
Look in verse number 1. The Bible says it was not just Joshua that made it to the river. It was Joshua and all the people. Brothers and sisters, it makes no difference if I walk in a way, but you have to be walking in the same path as the people. You see, the greatest miracle that God does beyond salvation is when God knits the heart of a person and a people, a preacher and a congregation. That is a surgery that man cannot perform. That is a miracle that only God the Spirit can perform. When he puts in that man's heart a burden and a dream, and he gives faith in the people's heart to say, Preacher, whatever God is telling you to do, we'll walk to the bank of the river and do it with you. Now, here is what you got to know about that first test. Now, let me just, I felt some resistance right there. Let me just go ahead and back this man. Ferguson up and hit this stump one more time. I know that there's a lot of people in this room and you've been scorned by preachers. You've been messed up by a bunch of people that were hirelings and not shepherds. You've been messed up by preachers that pretended to have an office. Brothers and sisters, I know they're out there and they're sorry as a sack of sin, but you let the great shepherd take care of them. Do not let a man mess up your walk with God. Do not let a person keep you from trusting God called deacons and God called preachers. I know there's some scum out there in pulpits. I know there's some men out there walking like a bunch of jackrabbits trying to get everything they can out of the garden of God's people. You let the chief shepherd take care of those people. Set your eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ and let the Holy Ghost bear witness in your heart. I feel better about that whole situation right about now. Here's what I'm telling you. The grand miracle is when a people and a congregation and a pastor come to the river and say we're ready to cross. You see, that river, that first test, it is a a testament to you and I. Let me give you a couple things about Joshua and these people. Number one, look at that river and the picture of their crossing. You see, that river stands as an illustration to you and I. What is that illustration? Man, I grew up in old-time Holy Ghost, Nazarene, snot-slinging, Church of God, Pentecostal, Baptocostal, you don't know how to shout until you've been there kind of church. And I've heard this saying more than one time, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. You're right, but that ain't right. You won't have to cross the river by yourself, but we have made the river Jordan into something that it is not in the Bible. Crossing the river Jordan is not a picture of going to heaven. How do I know? Because when I get to heaven, I'm not fighting any more battles, and when they cross the river, their battles were just beginning. Honey, when I stand on the celestial streets of Jehovah on the golden gates and stand by the pearly gates and the jasper walls kicking up gold dust, I'm laying down my soul in my bow. I'm not fighting anymore. So then therefore, what is crossing the river Jordan a picture of? Well, you got to understand the journey. You see, they came out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of sin's bondage. And the only way to come out of sin's bondage is to cross the Red Sea. And in order to cross the Red Sea, you've got to have a way split. What is that way split? That is the split side of the loving Lamb of God. You and I are not Jews. We 
were not saved by the palms and we were not saved by the scars in the feet. We are that engrafted branch that was put inside of the heart of the, you see, Israel was the hand of God and Israel was the walk of God. But honey, I've been placed inside of the very bosom of the Lord Jesus and you got to cross the Red Sea. That's a picture of salvation. But yet they go out into the wilderness. What is the wilderness? 40 years they wandered out there. That's a picture of the Christian life lived without the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. When you do what you want to do and operate how you want to operate, you're just going to wander around in one big circle all the days of your life. But every now and again, God will raise up a moment in your life that says it's time to cross over the river and get into the promised land. What is the promised land? It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. If you want to put it like this, the the, the promised land, Canaan land, that's Romans chapter number 8 is what that is. For we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Don't we, We shout about that. Most of us get upset if the sun's not shining in the morning. If it's raining outside, we beat down like a bunch of junkyard dogs. You know why? Because we have forgotten how to get into the promised land. You see, the River Jordan is a picture of me and you and our flesh. In order to get into the promised land, you've got to die to self and the flesh. You see, that's the picture. The picture is in order to get from here to there, You've got to have a way made, and that's only through the power of the Holy. We are Holy Ghost Baptists, aren't we, by the way? We do believe that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, that I don't have the ability, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom. I've got to have something bigger, higher, holier, greater than me, and it is the infilling and the dwelling power of the Spirit of the living God. You've got to have that if you're going to have victory. You see, that's the picture of crossing over. Number two, in order to get over the River Jordan, you've got to have the pathway to get there. What is the pathway that takes you from here to there? Are you ready? One big five-letter word, faith. They, They can't build a bridge to get over that water. They can't build a ford to get over that water. They can't build a ship to get all those people. It's going to take God taking them from here to there. Brothers and sisters, you cannot get to where God's going to take you in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own mindset. It takes faith. Faith is a word that scares the ever-loving fire out of Baptist people. It makes us think that we don't know what we're talking about. It makes us think that there's something beyond us. It makes us think that we've got to have something. We've got to have something. It's something we cannot see, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, atheism has so infiltrated our American nation that it's turned our Christians into agnostics. What is agnosticism? It is, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. And what we've done in the church of Jesus Christ is we've said, Lord, show us and then we'll walk. God says, walk and then I'll show you. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
Back in the days of segregation when white churches and black churches existed and they did not mix together, the old black preacher stood up one day in the midst of a great drought and they decided that they were going to pray for rain. This drought was so big, it was so hot, and it ruined the entire landscape. And they had a a prayer meeting. And that blessed preacher, he stood up. And he looked at him and he said, Beloved, we all know why we've come. But here is my question. If you've come praying for rain, where's your umbrellas? Brothers and sisters, we have come to this place where we do not have enough faith not to move a mountain. Honey, we can't even blow the fuzz off of a peach. I've heard about preachers and churches in yesteryear that were poorer than Job's turkey and just wish they had some of the feathers off of Job's turkey. But yet they prayed in and they would build buildings for the glory of God. They didn't have money. Mama didn't work and grandmama didn't work and they couldn't read and they couldn't write. But that old preacher man would stand up and they'd get on an altar somewhere and before they'd get up off of that altar there'd be money on the back table you know what does that it's not by might it is by faith but we've gotten so smart in our day we've got uh, we've got committees for this and we've got fundraisers for that and we've got this over there we've gotten to a day where the Lord God of heaven says if you don't pray it in it's not coming in we have lived in a day where it was popular to be in a Baptist church those days are quickly going by the wayside. And for all you political folk, I'm all for politics. I think we ought to vote out every liberal and vote in every conservative. But let me go ahead and make a prophecy right here. I'm not a prophet, no, the son of a prophet. But about the time that some of that crowd on the right realizes they can be voted in without you and without me, they'll open up the floodgates to abortion. They'll open up the floodgates to homosexual marriage. They'll open up the floodgates to all those things. We better make sure that we're not getting on the wrong side of this thing, but we're staying right in the lane where the loving Lamb of God goes, brothers and sisters. We can't politic our way into this thing. It's by faith. It's by faith. Brothers and sisters, there's only one way to get there, and it's by faith, but then there's a purpose. There's a purpose in this crossing. Why does God take them to a place where without Him, They ain't getting across. There is a phrase that occurs three times in this chapter. Here's the phrase. That ye may know. God takes you to the river so that you know who God is. God will take you to a place of insurmountable, unpassable waters so that when you get to the other side, you realize there's only one way I made it across that river. The God of heaven made the way. Don't pray for faith and then complain about mountains. When you ask God to give you faith to believe, he'll put something in your pathway that is so unbelievable that you cannot get past it unless it's by faith. I hate animals. I hate everything about animals. I know there's veterinarians in the place. I'm glad y'all like them because I don't. I don't like cats. Lord, God knows I don't like cats. Cats better pray there's a purgatory because there's only one other place they're going if there ain't one. (laughs) 
when the babies were little, we would take them to the zoo. Only thing worse than the zoo, well, they ain't much worse than a zoo. They stink. They got germs. And that's just the kids looking at the animals. Back at the house, we got one of the largest zoos, I would assume, in North Carolina, maybe in the southeast. And it's in, of all places, Ashboro. What's Ashboro? Ashboro's famous because they make the paper for cigarettes. They only make the cigarettes. They're making the paper for something else. Say amen right there. They ain't making it for cigarettes no more in North Carolina. They done outlawed everything with tobacco. Anyways, Terry, there are these animals in the zoo and they're called the African Impala. They're this gazelle deer. Did you know that an African Impala can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet out in one jump? But do you know that they will put them in an enclosure with only a four-foot high wall? Do you know why? Because an impala will not jump if it doesn't see where its feet are going to land. That's a whole lot like the child of God. Living inside of our hearts is the very thrice holy third person of the Trinity. The one that rolled back the sunsets and heaped up the mountains and put the stars in the sky lives in our heart. The one that made everything out of nothing in all six days and then had enough time on the seventh day to rest. That same God lives in our heart. The very God that took the pots of nothing and filled them with oil and sold and provided for the widow, he lives in our heart. The very same God that looked David in the eyeballs and said, if you have faith the very size of a grain of mustard seed, you can take five stones, put them in your satchel but you'll only need one to knock down a nine foot nine inch giant that very God lives in our heart the very God that came out of heaven in the form of fire after Elijah prayed 64 Hebrew words the very same God that brought fire out of heaven he lives in our heart yet the devil mutes us and the devil keeps us from taking that leap of faith all because we cannot see the other side of the fence brothers and sisters I remind you right now God put you on this side of the black wall so that you will take a step and when you get to the other side and land safe on the other side, you'll realize the only way I made it is by the power of the very living, breathing God. But you will not do that by asking a thousand people. You'll do it by faith. In order to have a Joshua heart to get from here to there, you're going to have to do it by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a day where somebody's going to have to start walking by faith. Preachers have walked by education long enough. Churches have walked by finances long enough. Men like me have walked by books long enough. And if there's a procedure for this, we've walked by it long enough. It's going to take somebody that's got faith in their heart. You cannot be saved except you have faith in your heart. You can baptize and you can dip down and you can take the Lord's Supper, but those things do not save a man or a woman. It takes faith inside of your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ to jump over the wall of sin. And when you get to the other side, you'll sing like the psalmist and say, oh, taste and see that the Lord God, he is good. But you'll only be saved by 
faith. We need people of God like the people of Israel. When they looked at Joshua, they didn't know where they were going, but they saw the ark of God that walked out in front of them according to Joshua chapter number 3. That ark walked out in front of them and they could not see the ark. It had been covered over with blankets and with, with rabbit hair and with goat hair. It had been laid over because they could not look at the very gold ark of God lest they be smitten dead. But when they could not see the physical ark, they could see the fire, the Shekinah glory that was coming out of heaven. They said, you know what? We're going to follow the ark. Brothers and sisters, do you know what our ark is today? Our ark is the very living, breathing son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ that sits at the right hand of God the Father, and God is looking for somebody that will turn their eyes upon Jesus and say, I will follow you, Lord, with every fiber of my being. I will follow you in my business. I will follow you in my home. I will follow you with my children. I will follow you in my church. I will follow you at my job. I will follow Jesus, and I'll do it by faith. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'll do it by faith. What does the ark teach us in this chapter? The ark, it takes up four positions, and I want to give them to you because as they followed the ark that day, so you and I, by faith, will have to follow the Lord Jesus. What position does the ark get in? Number one, in verse number three, we find the ark is leading. Watch what it says in verse number three of chapter number three. They commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. They didn't say go after Joshua. They said go after the ark. We are not men worshipers. The Catholics worship a man. We worship the Son of God. We do not follow a man. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not follow potentates. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I am nothing more than a servant. I am nothing more than just one that takes the bread and serves it on the Lord's day. I am not a potentate. I should not be served. Preachers should not be served. I should not be bowed down to. I am but a man. But honey, here's what you'll find. When the man that is walking with God and the people that have got their eyes on Jesus. They'll be following the same thing. They'll all be moving in the same direction. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what they did that day. They turned their eyes to that ark. The old songwriter said it like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We've looked at religion long enough. We've looked at man long enough. We've looked at people long enough. We've let people tear our nerves up. We've let churches tear our nerves up. Some of you right now are so scorned sitting in the house of God because of some preacher or some board down the road. I done said it one time. Let me say it again. Don't let somebody, don't let some man, don't let something tear your nerves up. They are but a man. But there's a high and a holy God on the other side of the veil that bears you and says, follow me. It would tear my nerves up if deacons lost their mind. But I'd have no excuse not to serve God. I hope it would tear the deacons' nerves up if I lost my mind. But you've got no excuse not to follow God. I love my wife, and it would break my heart if she lost her mind. But that's no excuse 
for me not to serve God. I love my children. And if my children went astray, that would still be no excuse for me not to love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. Because whenever you are following the ark, you're not looking to the right. You're not looking to the left. You've got your eyes on the Shekinah. And you say, I'm going to follow that. If it goes across the river, it had to get across the river somehow. And if it got across the river, it's going to make a way for me to get across the river. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you right now, our Baptist churches are floundering in our own path. We are floundering in our potentate's ways all because we have taken our eyes off of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, but I make the imploring this morning. I plead with the hearts of the people of God this morning. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the Lamb of God. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved and you're looking at it and say, well, what am I waiting on? That's exactly what the Lord Jesus is asking you. What in the world are you waiting on? He's not getting any sweeter. He's not getting any holier. He's not getting any greater. He's already sweeter than he's ever going to be because he's been that sweet all of eternity. He's not getting any holier than he is right now. He's been that holy for all of eternity. Lift your eyes and follow as the ark is leading. Number two, you see in verse number six, the ark gets done leading. And now in verse six, the ark is inspiring. Watch what it says in verse six. And Joshua spake unto the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now I'm going to give you a real quick Tyler version illustration. Imagine this big old rug right here is the whole camp of Israel. They would camp in a cross. They'd be Tribes that way, and it'd be tribes that way, and tribes that way, and it'd be tribes that way. In the center would be the tabernacle, and in the center of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. When they were seated and still, the Ark was in the center. But when they got to marching, do you know what would happen? The ones in front would move out of the way, and the Levites would take the ark and move to the front. Now, in order to get from the middle to the front, you've got to walk through the people. So whenever the Shekinah would start moving over that ark, you know what the people would say? God's moving again. Just the minute that that ark started moving, they'd start saying, we're going somewhere. We ain't sitting still long. We are heading somewhere. Now, can I give you a little Bible lesson? Some of you Sunday school teachers ought to preach a fire out of this this coming Sunday. Here's what you ought to do. You know that ark? It would be in the center, but when they would march, they would march in a line by tribes. Do you know how they would march? The order that they would march? The first thing that would go out would be the Levites, and it would be the sons of Mo, or the sons of Aaron, the high priest, that would bear it. Because number one, the presence of God led the way. Do you know the tribe that came in right behind them? It was the tribe of Judah. 
Judah. Do you know what the tribe of Judah was? They were the praisers. So here's what churches get all messed up on. They think that you start praising, and that's how you get the presence of God. That's a lie. That's not how it happens. In order to have praise, you've got to have the presence first. And the only way you get the presence is by the blood being on the mercy seat. Honey, we are not saved and able to praise because of our ability. Honey, I praise this morning, not because I feel good. Oh, but because the blood of the Lamb of God is on the mercy seat. You pray the presence down, then you praise the presence in. You praise without prayer, and you'll have wildfire. But if you'll pray and then praise, you'll have holy fire. And brothers and sisters, I remind you right now, and I challenge some of you mamas and you daddies and you grandmas and you grandpas and you people that just come on Sundays. Let me encourage you in something. If you want to see holy fire in your church, in your life, in your family, don't worry about just the Sunday morning praising. Get in on the Wednesday night praying. Can I give y'all some marital counseling? I'm not a counselor and I barely got a good marriage myself, but I do have a good little tip. Oh, don't y'all act like your marriage is made in heaven. That's because either two of you are doped up and you don't live in the same house. Sit there and look at me with that Baptist look on your face. These are three rules I give to every young couple when I counsel them. Now, this is not the only thing. This ain't going to take care of your problems. This is a good foundation place to start. Number one, go to the house of God every time the doors are open. Number two, tithe it may not be but a penny tithe number three stay out of debt if you don't make it don't spend it that ain't gonna take care of all your problems but it's gonna handle most of them time back in so all of a sudden they get that art moving and the art gets to moving and somebody shouts God's on the move somebody shouts God's about to do something somebody shouts God's is working ladies and gentlemen do you know what happens when faith is enacted in your life there are people around you and you may not see it and you may not pay attention but somebody says wait a second God's moving in their life because God has a way of insulating us from seeing what God is is doing in our own lives because if he showed us what he was doing in us and through us we would be filled up with pride so I can barely see what God's doing in my life but God allows other people to see it and it's the same principle with you you may not see what God is doing in your life but other people they see the Shekinah on your life and they say God's moving over there God's moving in that family God's moving in that marriage God's moving in those children and it's the same way in a church people all of a sudden a church starts walking by faith we start doing stuff God starts moving and the church down the way that's dead as a hammer hadn't seen God move in 13 years all of a sudden they see the Shekinah glow and they say wait a second you're telling me God's not dead God really is a moving I tell you right now when people get hooked in locked in and on fire and walk by faith it'll inspire other people to walk by faith You see, the ark, when it moved, let people know something's happening. When people start walking by faith, it lets people know God's moving. I do not want to go to my grave 
saying, what if? I do not want to go to my grave saying, I could have. I should have. I want to go to my grave saying, I gave everything I could. And I did it by faith. You see, the art movement will inspire. Faith-filled people will inspire. George Mueller, if you've ever read anything about him, was the, the orphanage man from Bristol, England. He provided for thousands of orphans, over a million pounds he prayed in. Never one time did he ask for money. He prayed it in. And brothers and sisters, one time he got on a ship headed from Bristol over to Quebec. And they got almost outside of the Canadian boundary. And a dense fog came in. And the captain was at the bridge for 24 hours. And he heard a knock on his door. He opened the door and there was George Mueller. And he said, Captain, would you please set the sail and push the motor as hard as you can? The captain said, absolutely not, sir. He said, we've never been in fog this thick. He said, it's the densest fog I've been in in all of my years as a captain. If I set it and I hit something, people will die. Mr. Mueller said, well, sir, let us pray because if I don't get to Quebec quickly, I'll miss my preaching engagement. And for 56 years, I have never missed one engagement, and I'm about to start today. So he looked at the captain. The captain looked and said, what a lunatic. Mr. Mueller said, well, we shall pray that God will lift the fog. And the, he said, the captain tells the story. He went to bow his head, and Mueller looked at him and said, no, you're not allowed to pray. You don't believe God will. And the captain looked at him and said, but sir... The fog is so thick. And the captain in his own testimony said, Mueller looked at him and said, Sir, I'm not paying attention to the denseness of the fog because my eyes are set on the power of God. Mueller bowed his head and he prayed that God would move the fog and the captain said he opened up his eyes and Mueller said, set sail. He said he opened up the door and the fog had dissipated and there's clear skies. He said he put the hammer down on that thing and he made that preaching engagement. Ladies and gentlemen, you may look like a fool to people in the moment when you walk by faith, but the day will come when God rolls the fog back because you say, I no longer see the fog. I've seen the Father. You see, the art knows how to inspire. How many times have we prayed this? God, just show me a sign that you want me to do it. What if God is waiting for you to move to be the sign for somebody else? What if your step of faith is the sign somebody with lesser faith has been praying for? The third position that the ark takes up is found in verse number 11 down through verse number 15 because after the ark is leading, after the ark is inspiring, number three, the ark starts working. Where does the ark start working? From verse 11 down to verse number 15, this is what the ark does. It's born on the shoulders of the sons of Aaron and they take their feet and they dip down their feet in the water. And the Bible says that the waters at the city of Adam began to heap up. You know the problem with the city of Adam? It was 16 miles away. They never saw 
God work. They just saw the after effects of the working of God. Because, see, the water stopped flowing 16 miles upstream, but it took time for the rest of it to dissipate off their feet. But slowly, slowly they looked down and they said, Boy, the water was at my shin bones. Well, look at that. Now the water's at my ankle bones. Well, I'll be. I can see my toes. Well, look at that. I can see the bottom now. A man said not long ago that challenged me. He said, too often we miss the miraculous because we're not looking at the natural. Supernatural things do not always look supernatural. But God always promises to work. You see, this is what we kindly want. When we pray for somebody to get saved, don't don't act like you don't want this. This is what we all want. We want the heavens to open up and the thunderclaps of God to rattle somebody. And they run down to the house of God and they fall on an altar and they get right with God and they get up dancing and shouting. And never go back to sin. Boy, that would be good, wouldn't it? But it don't always work that way. See, sometimes it takes time for the waters. You see, what God normally does is that one that wouldn't come to church, you invite them one day and they say, well, you having that Christmas program? What, what time does that thing start? Then all of a sudden, it's 6 o'clock, and it's 6.01, and it's 6.02, and you're thinking, this water's never going to get. And before you know it, they come a-sliding in. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking, yes, here we go, here we go, here we go. Troy, hit that high E-flat, son. They're coming down. And Troy hits that note, and they walk out. And the devil tells you the water's never going to stop flowing. And you look down and say, no, I, I guess I can't see my feet. But what you have ceased to see is the same water that was up to your knees is down, down below your shins. Because a couple of weeks later, they come back into the house of God. And what you don't realize is every time in between, they've been watching every online service from here to kingdom come. Been doing Google searches on what happens when you die. You know why? Because rarely do we see where the waters are heaped up. But one day, we're just standing there. And we say, wait a second. This same river that was a raging down the way, all of a sudden, it stopped. Do you know why? Because God never fails. God will always do what God has said that he will do. I don't care what so-and-so said. I don't care how hard they are. God knows how to work. Give it to God. Stop giving him the plans and let God do what God only can do. Because the ark will always work. But number four, the fourth position is in verse number 17. I've been waiting all weekend to get to this one point. In the words of the old Baptist preacher, all that was introduction. This one point. You know how I've told you before? Every word in the Bible is put there for a reason. 
We believe in what we call, y'all want a big long, uh, y'all want a big long seminary word that you paid $14,000 in order to learn? It's called the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. I could have saved $14,000 and been a redneck and given you this definition. Every word was given by God. Can I show you something? Verse 17, you ready? Listen, you're looking at one old country backwoods preacher that believes everything in that book was put there. I even believe the cover was inspired by God because it says genuine cowhide. If you walk out of here with nothing else, you walk out of here with this. This book with 66 books in it. You can believe every line. You can believe every jot. You can believe every tittle. It was inspired by God given to man. Put down in preservation. And it's the same today as it was back then. Put that in your pipe and smoke on it, liberal. Watch this. You ready? You ready? You ready? That has nothing to do with what I was going to say. It just felt good to say it. Watch verse 17. Verse number 17, the Bible says this, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Time out, time out, stop. Keep that verse up there, fellas. Watch this. Wouldn't it have been sufficient and miraculous to say that they went on dry ground? Why did it say they stood firm? Do you know why? That river was raging. Do you know what a raging river does? It washes away everything. Do you know what's at the bottom of the Jordan River? Do you know what forms the bed of the Jordan River? Stones and pebbles. What happens to a stone and a pebble in a raging river? It just keeps on flowing. But they took that ark and they planted their feet. When they got in the water that they could not see what was at the bottom, they realized they were standing on something solid. They weren't on mushy ground. They thought on top of that water they was on a mushy ground, but they were on something solid. When you step out by faith, the devil tells you, you're walking on muddy water, buddy. You're, it's saw you. You ain't never going to make it. But we've got something solid. What's the solid thing that the river can't wash away? What's our rock? Rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Through the waters and the flood. Keep me by the blood. Honey, when you step out by faith and you step into that river, all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, the river is still rolling, but I'm on solid ground. Everything else is washing away. But you know what happened? Are you ready? Oh my Lord in heaven, watch this, Troy. Watch this, baby doll. Here's what happened. Son, when the Shekinah glory of God hit that water, it started revealing something. You see, back there, I imagine there was some Baptist Israelites 
Israelites, and they were saying, I can't believe we're about to do this. I can't believe we're about to try to cross this river. I can't believe they ain't a better way across. I can't believe they ain't going to try to build a bridge. I can't believe they ain't going to try to do all this. Hadn't that spirit came over them. But Joshua said, just plant your feet. And all of a sudden, that water started rolling away, and the presence of God came down, and this is what they saw. They saw, wait a second, they really did have something solid to stand on. They really did have something solid. Honey, when the world is passed away and all these ages are gone by, the world's going to look back on my life and they're going to look back on your life. And the very same people that they said had no power, had no strength, had no ability, and the world was not even worthy of them, they're going to look back at the very judgment and they're going to say they were standing on something solid. They did build their life on something that mattered. Build it on the rock and you'll be victorious heard a story about a little boy lived with his grandfather in their house caught on fire little boy lived on the second story grandfather lived on the first the granddaddy ran out the bottom floor and he ran out and the smoke and the flames were billowing the little boy couldn't make it down the stairs so the little boy went out He jumped on the roof, on the edge of the roof, and the smoke is rolling. The flames are licking at his little feet. And he heard up from the bottom, he said, jump, son, jump. And the little boy said, granddaddy, is that you? He said, it is me, son, jump, jump. He said, but granddaddy, I can't see you. The granddaddy looked up and said, that's okay, boy. I can see you. Brothers and sisters, you may not see the next step that the good God of heaven is telling you to take. You may not see where it ends up, but there is a thrice holy God in the heavens, and he knows your life. He knows your name. You can trust God. You can take the land. You can walk in your destiny, but you're going to have to do it by faith to have a Joshua heart. Let's bow our heads this morning all across the building.